Good to see you all chatting away there. We love that. We love being family together. And it's been such a wonderful time already, just being so blessed by what other people are bringing through during our time of praise and worship as Corrie led us and as we had wonderful things brought through by uh, several different people. It's so good just to be family together, isn't it? This is what we're about. This is what we're here for, to, be gather, to gather as family. And uh, we're not coming to some service that we then check out of uh, in a half an hour's time. No, no, we, we come to be family together. And it's so good. It's good to see all your faces. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the elders here at Hope. And I'm going to be continuing in just a few minutes' time a series of messages that we've been working through in the Bible book of Ephesians, which was originally a letter written by a guy called Paul, who was one of the apostles in the early church, which meant he helped to see churches started, and then he brought a fatherly care to those churches as well. And before we get into that, I just felt it might be helpful to give you a little bit of a, a feedback on my time last week. I wasn't with you last week, and I've actually met a few people today already who had their first time with us last week, and uh, I was just thrilled to see God bringing people to our family here. Uh, but last week, I was in Colchester in the morning, preaching at Redeemer Church there, which we helped to plant about five years ago, and the church there is absolutely beautiful. It's such a wonderful uh, church to be amongst. Uh, God is growing, like here, a really international family, and uh, lots of students there as well with a big university in Colchester, and it was such a brilliant time in God's presence. They are really at bursting point in their building, so if you would remember them in your prayers uh, in the weeks to come, they need strategy and, and wisdom from heaven as to what to do next, because they're, they're full, basically. Uh, so pray for them. And then in the afternoon, I was in Chelmsford, which is just down the road towards London on the A12, and uh, we hope and long and pray to plant a church in Chelmsford this year, and uh, we had about 35 people gathered to pray in the city uh, last uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, only a few of those people probably would think that they would actually eventually join that church plant. I think most people were there in a supportive, prayerful capacity. But we're praying that by the end of this year, God will maybe gather a dozen or so together uh, who say we want to be part of this. And that he would identify a leader as well who's going to lead the charge there and leaders in time as well. So do pray for that. Pray for uh, the Chelmsford Church plant. We're going to start to gather people monthly uh, who are interested. If you are interested, if you just want to know more uh, from a prayer point of view or if you want to go and join it, please come and speak to me or one of the other elders. And we would love to uh, help you process that uh, some more. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and I have the unenviable task of preaching one of the most glorious passages in the whole of the Bible. Uh, this, it only gets better and better, this book, Ephesians, it really does. We've been going through some really meaty stuff uh, in recent weeks, and it just gets better and better. And next week, uh, Tommy Oyabadeja will be speaking, and it, it gets even better and better, this passage, and I can't wait to hear from him next week. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, where... Uh, Paul is writing to the church and he's reminding them of God's amazing grace. And it seems to me, as we read this passage, that he has something in his mind here. And it is the obliteration of self-boasting. It's, it's the complete obliteration of boasting in self. Now, we're in an age where boasting in self is celebrated, right? Whether it be Ronaldo running to the crowd and pointing at his name so everyone knows who's the best or it might be rappers who run around topless sort of talking about their achievements on stage. It might be people on uh, shows on TV, in, in amazing designs, showing off their luxurious lifestyle. Whether it be uh, influencers on social media trying to get people's attention, see how amazing I am. Self-boasting is big right now. It's having quite a moment right now. 
It's celebrated, this kind of boastfulness in self, see what I've done, see what I've made for myself, this is celebrated. And as we're going to see in this passage uh, that we're going to read in a moment, Paul is wanting to come against that in a big way, and he wants us to see that humility is in God's heart for his people. He wants us to be humbled by his grace. So let's pick up in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you that this is your word. We thank you that we come to your word today, your words that you want all of humankind to hear. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to come to the Father, to receive his word, to be forgiven for all these amazing things we've read about. And Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would come now. Make these words come alive to our hearts. Let it be that these words change us and transform us as we take them to our hearts. We pray today. Amen. Amen. So as I said, Paul has something in mind in this particular passage, and I believe it's this. I believe it's that he wants to see boasting in self completely obliterated. Paul understands that God really, really has an aversion to boasting and pride. In fact, we see right throughout the, uh, the Bible that, that pride is, is spoken against in a really negative way, and humility is praised. And Paul goes after it here. It's not just here. If you flick one page before uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he says this, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He'll say in, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He goes after boasting. It's not just in those passages. He goes after these things in other places, in his other letters, because he knows that God opposes the proud. He actively opposes the proud, and yet he gives favor to the humble. This is something that we read again and again. It's repeated in the scripture that God, he actively opposes. He opposes pride and he gives grace to the humble. And Paul wants to see a church that is both humble and confident. And we're going to see how that even works 
as we unpack this together. But he wants to see people uh, truly humbled by God's grace. This is, his, uh, this is how he sees that God will bring us to true humility. It's as we uh, assess ourselves properly in the light of his holiness and in the light of our sinfulness. And we're going to see what God has done about that predicament. Because he is holy and we are not. And we are sinful and he is not. He has done something extraordinary. And this should humble us. It should humble us. It should lead us to praise. It should lead us to seeing, God, you've done it and it was nothing of me. There's no room for boasting. So as we unpack this message of grace, we'll see that, that grace is, is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. The famous writer, C.S. Lewis, who we often quote from here, who uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and so on, he was once at a conference where there was people of different religions meeting together, and they were discussing what are the dif- what's the kind of differences between the main religions. And he was asked, what is different about Christianity? And he said, that's easy, it's grace. He said, that's easy, it's grace. By grace, we mean the unmerited, undeserved, transformative power of God. Every other religion would teach that you have to merit and earn God's favor. You have to work hard, and then God may one day let you into his presence. You have to work hard, and one day God may just say, yeah, you've done enough, you're in. But actually, the message of the grace of God is that it's not about the, work, the hard work that we do. It's not about the works that we do. It's about the works of another, of Jesus Christ, who did it on our behalf, who now we trust in, and it gets, uh, it gets imputed to us. That means it get, we get accredited. We get the reward that Jesus deserved, as if we had lived the life that uh, he lived. That's the grace of God. That's the transformative message of the grace of God, that when we take it to our hearts, it changes us. It transforms us, and we're humbled, and as we're going to see later, we're simultaneously, we're confident. So Paul is going to go for the jugular in this passage, and he's going to show that we cannot earn God's favor, and he's going to show us that God's grace is worth celebrating every single day of our lives, and indeed forevermore. He's going to show us that we need to celebrate this because it's worthy of being celebrated every single day of our lives. So he firstly reminds us of where we were. He reminds us of where we were. He reminds the Ephesians uh, church of where they were. He reminds them, you were dead. He says, you were spiritually dead. And dead people don't earn anything. They can't earn anything. There's nothing about an earning that they can do. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, we, all tend, we don't like this because we all tend towards like, an inflated view of ourselves. We, we kind of like, yeah, we know we're not perfect, but we kind of make one of two excuses for ourselves to excuse the things that we do. We firstly say, well, you don't know my upbringing. You don't know how hard I had it as a kid, or you don't know what my family was like. You don't know what my neighborhood was like. I got into some things, but yeah, it wasn't really my fault. I was, you know, I was, I was influenced in the wrong way. Or we say, yeah, yeah, I've made some mistakes, but we, we try and kind of make ourselves feel better by saying, yeah, but you haven't seen what he does. He does terrible things, and I'm in comparison, I'm a pretty good guy. We kind of make excuses for ourselves. We don't like these, these verses that say we were spiritually dead in our sins, in which we once walked. This doesn't seem to kind of, doesn't land in our hearts well. We, we kind of have denial at the diagnosis. It's like going to the doctor and saying, no, no, you're wrong, actually. I've got a better understanding of what's going on with my body than you, having trained for 10 years. I've got a better idea. 
We, we do, we're in denial at the diagnosis. And, and Paul has an un understanding that the big problems in the world are primarily a spiritual, a spiritual issue. Okay, we all acknowledge, don't we, that there are big problems in the world. You might be here today and you might be an atheist. You might say, there is no God. And I know that you will agree that there are problems in the world. Now, you may think the problems in the world are primarily systemic. There's some things in the systems and the governments and stuff that are broken that if only we fix them, then we can actually have a perfect world. Well, there are problems in governments and systems, and there really are things that need to be fixed. But the primary issue, the primary thing that needs to be dealt with is a spiritual one. And that's what Paul is showing us here. There's a, there's a deal within our hearts that before we come to know Jesus, we're spiritually dead. And that's the biggest need for an individual, and that's the biggest need for a society. That's the biggest need. It's a spiritual problem that we have. Spiritually dead. Aside from knowing Jesus, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're like zombies. We're physically alive, but inside we are dead. This isn't a picture of, of people who one day fancied a change. thought, well, the way I'm living my life isn't great. Let's just investigate some religions and see which one seems best. Now, this is a picture I can only liken it to in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this great story with Aslan, this picture of Jesus, the great lion, he, bre he breathes life on the statues. The people have been turned to stone. That's the only picture that I think that I can uh, conjure up here that kind of helps us to see this is the situation we were in. This is the plight of our souls before knowing Jesus. We were spiritually dead, and Jesus has come. If you've placed your faith in him, he has come, and he has awoken you. He has breathed life into you. You're alive in him now. This is what... Paul is showing us. This is the reality for some even here today. You might be here, as I said, you might have all kinds of reasons for being here. Maybe someone's dragged you along. Maybe someone said, hey, you should come along to church. Maybe as I think someone uh, came the other week, just saw the hope sign, just thought, I'll come and see what it's all about. If you don't know Jesus, the, the reality is, and this is not a popular thing to say, that actually inside you're spiritually dead. You're just going the ways of the world. You're just kind of going kind of the way the world directs you to go. And this was the story for all of us here before we came to know Jesus. This was the story. And Jesus has come and he's breathed life into us. We're not perfect. We don't know, you know, day by day perfection where we're just kind of completely joyous all of the time. But we've now been made alive. We've made alive in Jesus. So this is bad news. We are spiritually dead. And the worst news is this, that the, the coffin, as it were, that we're in is guarded by three guards. We see this uh, in, in verses two and three, the world, the devil, and the flesh. It's like we, we're, we're spiritually, dead, spiritually dead and we're unable to get out of that situation that we're in because there's three things that are stopping us. The first thing, the ways of this world we see in verse two. This is the, the cultural worldview of a fallen society. There is no, there's no society on the planet that does not have a fallen worldview. So you might sometimes think, I wish I lived in the 1950s again. Or I wish I lived in such and such a nation because they seem to have it all together. I really like their president or their prime minister or their government. I like the way they do things. In that society, they have a fallen worldview. There is no place on earth where there is a society where the worldview is God's worldview. There is a view of the world and 
it's not just teenagers that experience peer pressure. We, we, ju- we all know it. Prior to coming to know Jesus, we just go the way of the world. We just go the way that the world's going, swallowing its beliefs, swallowing its assumptions, not wanting to break away from the crowd, not wanting to stand out. So that's one thing that's holding us back before we come to know Jesus. That's one thing that's keeping us in our coffin, as it were. The second is the devil himself. And totally unpopular to talk about the devil in the 21st century in a very rationalist kind of society. And you might think here, you might be shaking your head thinking, what is he on about? Jesus himself spoke about the devil. Jesus spoke about the devil being the father of all lies, who has been a liar since the beginning. He, he understood that there was a spiritual realm that we don't see. And actually, the book of Ephesians, more than any other New Testament letter, speaks of these spiritual forces at work in the world. And so it's not the first time that we're going to encounter this. It won't be the last, as we go through this book. There is an enemy who hates Jesus, who hates his people, who hates humans, because they're made in God's image, and he so longs to lie that would, they would stay within their spiritually dead state to trick them into, no, don't go after Jesus because you're never going to be good enough. You'll never have your sins forgiven. You have done too much. You are way far too gone. You, there's no way you'll ever come, you know, get your life turned around by Jesus. Whatever it might be, there's lies. He wants to lie and keep people in this spiritually dead state. How can there be a God? How can there be a God with all this going on in the world? These lies that would come through. And finally, there's the flesh. This is talking about the, the, the passions of our body and of our mind that within our fallen uh, human uh, nature, we still struggle with. He's talking about there's, there's, there's natural desires for sex and for food and for sleep. Those are natural things. They're not wrong. But it's when they become... Uh, lust and gluttony and laziness. That's when they become wrong. And we can't help ourselves before coming to know Jesus. We, we're kind of like just going wherever our flesh says. You want that? Go and get it. But Jesus comes to bring us freedom from having to go the way our flesh tells us to go. And so we've, we've got this spiritually dead state. We're kind of like in a coffin heading towards a very, very bad situation. And we are guarded by three guards, as it were of the world and its ways, the enemy, the devil, and the flesh. This is the, the bad situation that Paul is, he's kind of laying it on thick here deliberately to show us the incredible way in which God has broken in. We're in a dire situation before we come to know Jesus. We're held captive by oppressive influences inside with our flesh and its ways, outside with the world and the way it says that we're to go, and then beyond in the spiritual realm with this spiritual forces of evil. We're in trouble and we're condemned. We're, we, we don't want to change, and we're in trouble. We're condemned, facing eternity outside of God's goodness, outside of His good influence in the world. Without God's influence in the world, this place would be a terrible place. Without His light, it would be very dark indeed, and we're facing that outside of Jesus. We're facing hell, and this is not a popular message. This is not something that I expect is going to get kind of, you know, posted around as a, hey, come and listen to this really encouraging message. That's okay, but this is what the Bible teaches. From where we are, we're in massive problems. But then it all changes. Paul goes 
off on one. I can hear his tone kind of rising. I can hear, as he's even having this letter penned, I can hear him gradually getting more and more jubilant because he says this, but God, but God, he, he can hear his spirit soaring, but God steps in, but God. He shows us now where we are. You can sense the jubilation in, within him. We were dead in sin, but God has raised us up and made us alive with Christ. We were captive to the prince of the power of the air and enslaved to the course of this world, but God raised us with Christ and made us sit with him in the heavenly places. We were children of wrath. We were deserving of eternity without God and his goodness. We were deserving of hell, but God, instead of pouring out wrath, will now spend eternity pouring out, lavishing out upon us his kindness and mercy. This is our God, friends. This is what he has done. Who took the initiative here? It wasn't zombie you or I. Who, who was it? It was God. He took the initiative. Who paid for our sin? God did through the death of his son on the cross. God did it. Who has the plan where we had none? It's him. He had the plan. Who has secured for us eternal life? God did it as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, raising us up with him in the same time. The origin of our salvation. These verses tell us are the love, the mercy, the grace, the kindness. These words come up again and again and again in this passage. The love, the grace, the mercy and kindness of God. That's the origin of our salvation. It's God, but God. He has seated us with him in heaven. We have our seats secured. Who loves to, when you go to a wedding reception, the first thing you do, the first thing I do when I go to a wedding reception, I'll get my canapé on the go and a drink, and I'll go and see who I'm sitting next to for the whole afternoon. Do you ever do that? And sometimes you think, yes, I can't wait to spend an afternoon with that person, sitting back and having a glass of wine, and then some people think, oh no, I don't want to sit next to them for the whole afternoon. Or some people think, I don't know who that is, but they obviously think I'm friendly enough to speak to a complete stranger. Listen, the, the seating plan has been arranged. Your name is written. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in him, you are seated now with him in heavenly places. It's a done deal. You one day sit with, sit with Jesus. In a sense, you are already right now. You know him now. But there's a sense in which there's something to come as well here. The seating plan is made. You are seated with him. And Paul's writing this from prison and the, all the squalor that that would have entailed and he knows, I'm seated with Jesus in heavenly places. I'm seated with him. He can allow his soul to soar, even though he's in a terrible situation. I'm seated with Jesus. I'm with him, and I'm going to sit with him for eternity. I'm going to be with him. Listen, our, our hearts, they are naturally lawish. This is why we don't kind of let our souls soar like this right now. Because naturally, we're lawish in our hearts. We think... We think back to our childhood and the way in which we were taught how to behave, rightly so. You know, there's consequences to our, our wrongdoing. There's rewards for our good behavior. And we think to ourselves, well, this week I'm, I haven't measured up. So how can this be true of me? We, we naturally revert back again and again because of the, just because of the way in which we were raised. We naturally revert back to, but, but I haven't done enough. I haven't, I haven't lived up to the way... God wants me to live up. He, he, I've fallen short. We are lawish in our hearts. We, we, we constantly need to come back. This is why gatherings like this are so important. This is why gatherings like this are so important. Why kind of just hanging out with a Christian friend every now and again is not church. 
even though it's beautiful and it's a part of church, we need to have the Word of God opened up to us that we might be reminded again of the lavish grace of God. That we might understand that we are lavish. He's lavish. He is over the top. He's abundant in His grace towards us. He is so lavish. He's rich in mercy. We read of the riches of His grace in kindness towards us. Can you, can you understand? God is so rich in mercy to you. There's a great book called Gentle and Lowly, which I would highly recommend to you to read by a guy called Dane Ortland, And he, he says this, On that day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. I'll read that again. On that day when we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. We, we, haven't become, we haven't come close to comprehending how rich in mercy our God is. We think it's something we need to sort of wring out of him. Lord, please. No, he's so rich. He's dripping with mercy, dripping with grace. His heart towards you is kind. It's lavish towards you. And if you only knew that, and if you only took it to your heart, it would be transformative. You'd be simultaneously humbled, because no one can boast when it's all God's work, but you'd also be very confident, because you'd know God is with me, and he's really patient towards me, and he's really merciful. He's rich in grace and kindness towards me. Lord, would you help this to sink into our hearts? You're so rich in mercy, Lord. He's so kind in his grace to us. This obliterates boasting, doesn't it? There's no way in which we can, we can kind of go on comparing ourselves to others and thinking, oh, I think I'm better than them. I think I'm doing better than them. There's no way we need to do that anymore because God's done it. He's lavished upon us grace and kindness. There's no way we can stand over others in judgment. We can't stand over people who don't know Jesus in judgment and say, look at them. Look at the way they're behaving. Look at the way they speak. Look at what they do. No way we can do that because we were spiritually dead. And there was no way we could get ourselves out of it. And God breathed new life into us. And so it humbles us. There's no place for boasting. There's no place for sort of walking around with pride. God opposes the proud. And there's one person in the world you don't want to have opposing you. It's God. He, he wants to, us to be humbled by his grace. Seeing his holiness. Seeing our sinfulness and seeing what he's done for us. So this humbles us, and yet it gives us confidence. Can I encourage us? Let's, let's look to cultivate humility in our lives. At the beginning of each day, let's rise up, and let's look to the cross and what Jesus did. That's the way in which we can cultivate humility. We can put pride to death. John Stott, the great preacher and writer from the last century, he said, pride is your greatest enemy. And humility is your greatest friend. Let's, let's, let's cultivate humility at the beginning of each day. Say, God, thank you for the cross. Let's re reflect on what Jesus has done for us. He did it for you. And if you were the only person on the world, in the world, he would, that would still be what it cost. And you'd have been the one driving the nails into his hands. 
when he would have still done it for you. That's what your sin, your wrongdoing, your disobedience to God has, has meant. It meant the Son of God going to the cross for you to pay for your sins, to pay for your wrongdoing. We've all fallen short. We've all, in our hearts, we've not loved God as we should have done. In our hearts, we've not loved others as we should have done. We've all fallen short. Some here have literally murdered, and everyone here has at one point hated someone in their heart and has said, I just wish they were out of the way. I wish, I just, I just, I hope bad things happen to them. Some of, us here, some of us here literally have committed adultery. All of us here have at some point in our hearts and minds lusted after something that is not ours. Wanting something that's not ours. We've all failed to love God in the way that he calls us to love him. We've all fallen short. And yet he has poured out grace and kindness in our lives. This cultivates humility, friends, when we reflect on this. When we, when we, when we say to God, we're dependent on him. When we say to him, we need you, I need you, Lord. When you call upon him for all the things that are coming up in your day, saying, God, I can't do this on my own, I need you. This, this cultivates humility when we're dependent upon him, when we cast our cares upon him, instead of sort of in our pride, holding on to the things that we're worried about, thinking, I'll handle it, I've got this. No, no, we, we cultivate humility when we cast our cares upon him. And then at the end of the day, when we accept the gift of sleep, when we say, I, I don't need to try and control the world. I can lay things down for eight or nine hours because I can't control the world, but he can, and he never slumbers. He never sleeps. So we cultivate humility as we even at the end of the day, we say, God, thank you, you've got it in hand. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything from today, this, everything, every way in which you've blessed me, and now I'm going to sleep because I know you're in control. I don't have to keep trying to work to keep plates spinning, you've got this. So we cultivate humility as we do these things. But this is where I want uh, to land today. We can have confidence because he has prepared good works for us to do. We've not been saved by good works, but we've been saved for good works. We've been saved to walk in some ways. We've been saved for a purpose. He hasn't, God has not done this in order to sit us on the sidelines and say, okay, now you're saved, right? Just sit there. No, no, he's brought us into his global purposes. And Ephesians really does speak. We've even heard already something of this. He, God has global purposes. He's got big plans in the world. And his sovereign hand is on your life. His hand is on your life. Do you believe that? Or do you think you're just kind of here by accident? This is speaking, I believe, to a corporate body. It's speaking to churches that he has got good works for you that he's worked out in advance. But I believe it's also absolutely applicable to the individual. He's got things for you to walk in within the context of his big global purposes worked out through the church. He's got things for you to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you think, I just kind of turn up on a Sunday? And in the week, I'm just sort of floundering around. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Listen, he, he wants to draw you in, and he wants us now to see what he's doing in the world, how he's 
bringing about for himself uh, a people from every nation, every ethnicity, every language. He's wanting to bring about for himself a people. He's wanting to win for himself a people who are zealous for good works, uh, a people who, uh, who point to Jesus, who no longer boast in themselves, but as Paul will say, let the man who boasts boast in the Lord. We're to be a people who boast in Jesus and what he's done. And so wherever God has us in our workplaces, at the, at the school gate, in the ministries that we're, uh, we're, we're administering in this town, in the different places that we meet people for coffee or in our sports teams, we're to boast about Jesus. We're not to boast and point people to ourselves in our lives, but we're to boast about Jesus and what he's done. This is the good works that he has for us to walk in. To see a beautiful church here in Ipswich, to see churches uh, spilling out from this place as we send people on. He has saved us for something, friends. He's not saved you to sit you on the sideline. Do you understand that? He's got good works for you to walk in, that he's prepared for you in advance. This gives us confidence, doesn't it? Because he's prepared, he's prepared these things for us. So we're to be simultaneously humbled by his grace, but really confident. He's got me here for purpose. He's got you here for purpose. I want us to rise up in that knowledge today. To rise up. God's got good works for me. And you might think, well, what does that even look like? It looks like just walking in step with him, walking in step with the Spirit each day, submitting each day to him, and he will show you. He'll take you forward. It looks like being in community and having people around you say, hey, I see this in you. I think you could be really, really effective in this way. I see this gifting that God's given you. I feel like God wants you to step out in that. It's, it's a walking thing. He's, he's got good works for us to walk in. This isn't a sort of, he's going to just gonna show you something one day necessarily, and then you go and do it. No, he's going to show you on the way. As you walk with him, as you walk with others, as others prophesy over you, they speak into your life and say, I believe God is saying this to you. These are things that you're to go and give yourself to. In our workplaces, he's got, he's got works, friends. He's got, yes, he's got our jobs to do. We've got to get, do what we, we work as if we're working for the Lord and not for men. But he's got people for us to reach, people for us to share Jesus with, to boast about Jesus to. I wonder if we might stand together. We're going to, I want to pray for us in this. And we're going we're gonna to just spend some time just waiting on God. And I, I believe he's got some good things for us, even as we he's gonna just wait upon him. And in a moment, we're going to uh, take bread and juice right across the room. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But I just want to read this, this verse to you again, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We, the church, we are his workmanship. Do you know I'm part of God's church? I'm part of his beautiful people that he's knitting together. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you're here right now. Thank you that we could so sense your presence with us as we sang and as we worship. Thank you that nothing has changed right now. 
you're here in our midst. Maybe you just, right now, where you are, just want to say, God, thank you that you're here. Come and do in my heart what you want to do. Thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here and you're working in this place. You're moving in hearts. You are stirring hearts. Lord, we just, as we sang earlier, we say we surrender all to you in light of all that you've done for us. We say gladly, we're so glad to be your workmanship. We're so glad to be your people. We're so glad that you have saved us. We're so glad that you reached down. We're so glad that you didn't let the sentence stop there, but God came through for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would it be right now that you just stir hearts? Would it be that we are simultaneously humble people and simultaneously confident because you've, you've prepared some things for us to do? I pray that even as we pray in a moment, that you would just speak to people. Speak to people about what it is that you want them to give themselves to. Would you whisper to people about the gifts that you've given to them? Would you show them, Lord? And even as we go from this place and into our week, that this would be uh, something that so excites us, that we get to walk in the good works that you've prepared for us. Lord God, that you had our personalities in mind. You had our different giftings in mind when you prepared things for us to do. Lord, thank you that you've got things for us to do, Lord. Thank you that you don't save us and sit us on the side. You bring us in. Lord, we want to be a people who are eager. We're hungry to do your work. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would come in great measure. Would you come into this place, fill hearts now. Would you come and fill hearts afresh, where people are dry, where people are fearful, where people are uh, feeling reluctant or sleepy. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you come and awaken people? Or would you come and wake us up to this glorious mission that you are on in the world and that you call us into? Would you come and do that now? Would you come and do that now? We're just going to give a bit of space. Just, just, just let's wait upon him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you've never asked Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Why don't you ask him now? Just ask him. He's here. He's here. As we were praying before this service, someone had the word that felt God was saying that for some here, he won't say enough is enough. Enough is enough. Maybe there's some people here now who, whatever it is you've been walking in, whatever it is you've been trying to get free or to get satisfaction, or whether you've been running and hiding from what you know God is calling you to, enough is enough. God would want us to say that, not through a, just through a, through a sense of his love and his fatherly ways. He wants to, in his righteous kind of fury, say, enough is enough. I want better for you. I've got better for you. I love you so much. I don't want, to walk, I don't want you to walk in that anymore. I want you to leave some things behind. Because enough is enough. 
Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Would you continue it now as we, as we worship? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're up to good things. Let's just keep, keep pressing into him. The band are going to begin to play. We are going to have communion, friends. If you don't know what we're doing when we have communion, we're basically taking the time to look to the cross again. We're taking the time to cast our minds to what Jesus has done. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed by his friend Judas, he had a meal with his friends and he, he said this at the table, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. So we're going to take the cup now. And, and in um, other places, he said, This is my blood that is poured out for you. So let's take the cup now. The blood of Jesus, we remember was poured out for us on the cross for our cleansing. He says, I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There's going to come a time when we're going to recline with Jesus at the table. Friends, we'll have a nice drink of wine. Let's take the drink now. Let's take this juice. Let's remember his blood poured out for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood poured out for the cleansing of our sins. Thank you, Lord. We know, we know complete cleansing. Washed as white as snow. <laughs> Washed as white as snow. Lord, that is amazing. Amazing grace. Amazing mercy. Thank you for your blood poured out. And then he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Maybe you even want to break that little wafer that you have in your cups. Just as a remembrance, his body was broken. He bore the punishment for our sins. All that we deserved, he took upon himself. So that all that he deserves, we might receive. It was a great exchange that took place on the cross. Take this bread and let's eat it now. Remember the body of Christ broken for us. This is my body which is given for you, he says. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we just choose now to remember you. We choose to remember your mercy. Lord, I pray that even as we sing now, even as we sing that fresh understanding of your mercy rich heart would come to us that we would understand your amazing grace your rich grace in kindness towards us would you come and do that now even as we sing for anyone here let me just tell you if you don't know Jesus if you don't know him and you maybe thought, I don't think I can take this cup and this bread. Listen, today you can reach out in faith to him. 
And you can say, Lord Jesus, I want your forgiveness. I want to know your cleansing. I want to know newness of life because of what you've done for me. You can turn around. You can repent. That means turn around. You can turn totally around from the ways that you've been pursuing and fix your eyes on Jesus and say, I want to live for you now. And as you do that, friends, you can take this cup. You can take this bread. You can celebrate with us this amazing Jesus. He's here. And if you've made that step, you've placed your faith in Jesus, maybe for the very first time, we'd love to hear from you. Please tell us. We'd love to help you in your next step, which would be baptism, to be baptized, to be plunged in water as a sign of my old life is gone. I'm, I'm rising to new life in Jesus. We'd love to help you in that next step and talk that through with you some more. Let's worship together, friends. Let's enjoy Jesus.